You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Good evening, church. Glad to uh, come together once again and worship God in song and in praises and also come at his feet to learn from him in his word. Of course, again, you know, this is not the ideal situation to be on this online uh, setting, but we are looking forward to the day where we can meet in person once again. Hopefully this summer when the, the province goes into step one of the reopening plan or whatever, that do some events outside and we can hang out outside as a church. So let's keep praying for that. Let's keep looking into that and, and keep your ears and eyes open for any announcements from the church. Other than that, we are going to get right into God's Word this evening. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of John. And of course, um, we, where we left off last week, we broke down the passage in John chapter 3, the first part of John chapter 3. And now we're going to get into some application of that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to 10. Again, hopefully you're bringing your own Bibles now to each service so that you could follow, follow along in, in a physical Bible yourself um, as we go through this study. John chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Hopefully everyone here has their Bibles. Good. Good to see that. Please stand with me as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word if you have not already. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we magnify your name. We, de we declare your holiness, O Lord. We sing your praises of your goodness towards us, your faithfulness towards us. While we were still sinners, O oh Lord, you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And so, God, we, we just praise you. We worship you this evening. And we ask that you would take all the glory from this night. God, we ask that as we enter into this time of your word, that you would humble us, that you'd open our ears and our eyes to be teachable this evening. And I pray, O oh God, that you would send forth your word, that you would not allow it to return void, but allow it to accomplish its purpose as we dive deep into this doctrine of regeneration. God Almighty, we, we say that this is all for you, that we might know you more, that we might trust you more. I pray that you would allow for life change to take place this evening. Please, again, use me as your instrument of peace, I pray. 
In Jesus' mighty name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Tell someone the title of my sermon again tonight, The Work of Regeneration, Part 2. The, rege the Work of Regeneration, Part 2. Dawn of Justice. No, that's not part of the title. Um, the Work of Regeneration. This was the massive doctrine that we started to embark on last week as we began Chapter 3 of our study. Of course, we were only able to break down that passage, and tonight we'll get into the, the, deep, uh, the deep cut, the, the meat of this doctrine, of the, this very fundamental doctrine of faith. So why discuss, and why is this important to discuss, this doctrine of regeneration? Well, my dad always has this saying, uh, if, you want, if, if, if you want to finish right, you need to start right. And I believe this saying summarizes the importance of, of getting into this doctrine tonight and getting this doctrine right in our minds, in our hearts. Because from this doctrine, everything else flows from. How we function, how we think, how we feel in our walk with God, how we understand uh, our relationship with God, even, our, our, even how we interpret God's word. And if we get this doctrine skewed, then the fruit of that can be very dire. A relationship with God that ends up being based on human works or, or worst case scenario, we can end up deceiving ourselves into thinking that we are saved in Christ when in reality we are far from him. If you remember from last week, this is exactly what Jesus was trying to, to get at or correct in Nicodemus, this Pharisee, via this conversation that we looked at. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, the, the, uh, a religious leader in Jerusalem. He was a Pharisee with much authority, the teacher of Israel. Yet he comes to Jesus by night with the intention of asking him, what, he, what must he do to see the kingdom of God, to, to, to enter into the kingdom of God? Of course, we just read in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember the meaning of this analogy that Jesus gives. Similar to how you did not contribute anything to your physical birth, you cannot contribute anything to your spiritual birth, rebirth. That's, that's it. That's plain and simple what this idea of born again means. And that is necessary for us to see or enter into the kingdom of God. See, like the rest of the Jews, Nicodemus had his theology backwards. He thought in order for him to get right with God, to, to be able to see the kingdom of God, which is, by the way, an umbrella statement for salvation, reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness of sin, being part of the kingdom that God was ushering in, he thought like many Jews of his day and, and many of us in our day that we need to do something, good works, sacrifices, ritual cleansing, following dietary laws, going to the temple. It's this humanist ideology of, of having to earn your way into a right relationship with God. And listen, if we don't have the doctrine of regeneration right, we end up in the same place as this teacher of the law, Nicodemus. 
Our interactions with God becomes based on our merit and, and whether or not we attend church or whether or not we, we've prayed or whether or not we've read X amount of scriptures or given X amount of tithing to the church rather than a genuine relationship with God. Instead of following in a relationship with God, we end up functioning in a, a works-based religion. And let me tell you, I know what that's like. It's a worldview that seeks to please God by doing endless amounts of good works, by doing enough good things in order to merit salvation. It's a lifestyle that is a slave to pseudo-pious living and external righteousness with not a sincere motive or change within. It is a religion of appearances and lip services, masking dead men with worldly righteousness, like putting makeup on a corpse and pretending it's alive. It is a religion that tries to earn God's love, even though God's love has already been displayed to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that kind of faith, that kind of works-based mentality and religion just leads to death. Either you burn yourself out trying to achieve these good things, trying to be holy and righteous before God, or you literally burn yourself out in the fires of hell thinking that you're saved by your good works. Jesus came to turn all of that notion upside down. Again, he says, as a matter of fact, unless you are born again, born from above, regenerated by God, quickened by the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot experience salvation. You cannot experience redemption. My hope, church, as we dive deep into this doctrine of regeneration this evening, is that you would truly be set free from a mentality of works from a lifestyle of trying to earn your way into right standing with God, trying to earn God's love. My hope is that we would gain this assurance of our salvation, not in our good works, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. With that said, let's dive into the doctrines of re regeneration tonight. Everyone say dive. Now, the first thing that we need to do as we get into this topic of regeneration is that we need to give a clear definition of what regeneration is. And, and fortunately for us, Jesus does that in our passage tonight. Remember the flow of the conversation. Nicodemus comes in the secret, in the cover of night, ask, wanting to ask Jesus how he can get into the kingdom of God. And of course, as we just mentioned, Jesus says, you need to be born again if you want to see or enter into the kingdom. Nicodemus is bewildered by this notion. Again, understanding what this means is that you cannot do anything then to, uh, to earn your way into the kingdom of God. In verse 4, Nicodemus even says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb? He's speaking from his works-based worldview of, of the temple and the law and, and thinking about the impossibility of being born again. He's used to this idea of earning his way into right standing before God. But then Jesus gives him some hints and clues as to how this is made possible. Verse 5, he says, or Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Remember, Jesus is pointing here to the Old Testament, right? He's referencing something that Nicodemus would have understood, would have studied, would have memorized his entire career as a Pharisee. So let's go back to that passage that Jesus is referencing in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from your, all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here we see the perfect illustration of regeneration. The removal of a heart of stone and being exchanged for, replaced for, a heart of flesh. Regeneration is a sovereign act of God to change the disposition of a man's heart from one that is hardened by sin and rebellious towards God, unable to seek after or pursue God, to one that is softened and able to accept and understand and hear the truths of God and truly believe. Regeneration is the act of the Holy Spirit breathing life into the dead man and quickening them to new life so that he might be saved. See, this is the state of man that we've been talking about and we always end up discussing from this pulpit, right? Apart from Christ, we are in a state of total depravity. Apart from the work of God, from the will of God, we are totally dead in our sin, totally depraved. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. No one understands God. That is not just a statement of fact. It is also a logical conclusion because how can a corpse, something that's dead, choose to seek after God? It can't. And that's where we are, unable to choose the good that God has for us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 as well, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead in our sins, children of wrath, bound to face the wrath of God like the rest of the world. And the reality is because of our sin nature, that was our only choice. We could not choose God. We were slaves to sin and its punishment. But then that passage goes on, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is regeneration. That is the unilateral, monergistic, miraculous work of God to regenerate, to quicken to life dead sinners so that we may then choose him, choose to follow him, believe his truth, choose to believe and put our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is gracious and merciful, a loving act because we didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it, yet God still does it. 
God being holy did not have to save us or regenerate us. He could have just left us to suffer his wrath and he would have been totally justified for doing so because that's how much sin is an offense to a holy God. But again, this great passage with God being rich in mercy because of his, the great love which, we, which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Now, some would argue that God looked down the corridors of, of time and, and saw that we would eventually choose him and, and or eventually do good, and therefore that's why God regenerated us. No, that's not why God did that. In his sovereign will, by his own prerogative and for his glory, he regenerated our hearts, the hearts of sinful man, regardless of our choice, regardless of what we would do in the future. God regenerates the dead man's heart despite him being dead in sin. That is the beautiful work, beautiful loving work of regeneration. Now something important to point out as we talk about this doctrine, and, and you need to listen to this, is that regeneration is not conversion. Regeneration is not conversion. This is where a lot of people get confused. Oftentimes, it, and it's due to misinterpretation of this passage in John chapter 3, being born again is, is often preached in churches as if, as if that's what conversion is. Being in, if you want to convert to Christ, you need to be born again. Again, it is, that's what happens if you take this verse, in, this verse 3 of our passage as a command from Christ. Again, this passage says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is not a command. Jesus is not saying, go then and be born again. He's not saying that. He is stating a matter of fact that those who want to see the kingdom of God need to be positionally born again. Those who have been born again, regenerated, are the only ones who get to see the kingdom. Now, what this verse in our passage also tells us is that there is a distinction between regeneration and conversion. If the allegory of being born again is referring to regeneration, as we've mentioned, and the kingdom of God refers to having access to redemption and salvation and being part of the kingdom of God, being part of the family of God, then Jesus is clearly making a distinction between the two, regeneration and conversion. He is saying that only those who have been regenerated by God can see or enter into the kingdom of God. That's salvation. Now theologians will call this the, the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. Now practically speaking, it can look something like this. For example, uh, we have our, you know, our, our dear brother Mark here who plays the, you know, the, the electric guitar uh, for worship. Imagine that he is totally depraved, a total sinner, lost in sin, you know, going all worldly, playing worldly music like Celine Dion or something, right? He, that's, that's who Mark is. But then on one day, God chooses to regenerate then his heart. He replaces his heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Now Brother Mark it, it becomes curious about, uh, about the word of God. He, you know, he's born in a Christian family, so he starts recalling these things that his parents have taught him or, or, or the things that uh, he learned at church growing up, all of these things. And then on Wednesday, he does more soul searching. He goes on, he goes on YouTube, watches some videos, and, and then he reads some scripture passages. 
Then by Saturday, Mark is crying out on the altar of God. He's confessing his sins. He, he's repenting. He's, he's wanting a new life. He's, he's, you know, he's putting his faith and trust in, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's conversion. But that does not happen until God regenerates the heart first. See, many of us can remember the day of our conversion. It, it happened at a church camp. It happened one Sunday morning during a private Bible study, maybe. But regeneration is done by God in the secret place, in the heart, during a time where we least expect it and where we have no control over it. Again, Jesus says in, the ver in verse 8 of our passage, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound and you do not know where it comes from. Or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, this distinction that Jesus makes is very important in regards to uh, re regeneration and conversion. Because it points to one of the fundamental truths about regeneration. And that is, regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration precedes faith. That's our first point for tonight. This truth simply means that before we can put our faith in Christ for salvation, God must first do the work of regeneration. Again, because we are dead in our sin, there's nothing in us that would desire to turn to God, would desire to repent, would desire to put our faith in God. So in order for that to happen, God must first regenerate our hearts, then faith comes, then repentance comes, then belief comes, then surrender John Calvin said, we are in a manner mute until God promise, God's promise opens our mouth to pray. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration happens before conversion. Now, this distinction is crucial to understand for two reasons. The first is responsibility. Whenever someone talks about God's unilateral work of salvation or monergism, the conclusion that people often come to is, okay, so what's my role in it? You know, I don't have a responsibility in it, then, you know, what, what am I doing? And maybe you've thought that yourself. Separating regeneration and conversion gives us that responsibility to still have faith. God opens our hearts to the gospel so that we might perceive it, receive it, and be, be receptive to the gospel but it's still our responsibility to hear and believe, to put our faith in what Christ has done on the cross and in the grave. We are still responsible for repentance, for crying out for mercy, for surrendering to God. All of that is our responsibility. Now, on top of that responsibility, it, is, it also includes going out to make disciples, going and propagating the gospel. I often hear, well, what's the point of sharing the gospel if God's going to save his people anyway? Because God regenerates the heart to make it into good soil so that we can go and plant the seed of the gospel. That's why. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's responsibility number one. As we talk about, we still need to call out to God. We still need to repent and, and have faith. And verse 14 of that says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, whom, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul describes the necessity of us to still go out and preach the gospel. It is the responsibility of those who believe the gospel, to go and preach the gospel. 
This is the great commission to go and make disciples as commanded by the Savior. And a true mark of a believer is obedience to the Savior. So of course you still need to go and preach the gospel, to go and evangelize. So that's, that's the responsibility that we have. That's, the, that's the, the, the practical part as to why this is important for us to make a distinction between regeneration and conversion. The second part, the second reason why this is important is on a perspective level. If you make regeneration and conversion synonymous with one another, or you have conversion take place before regeneration, then salvation becomes the work of man rather than God. It becomes a synergistic, so to speak, the work of God and man even. And that's not, and that's not found in Scripture at all. Your views become, because I believed and I prayed and I, and I confessed my sins, I am born again, I'm saved. The responsibility for salvation then falls on you rather than God. This is the start of what makes for a works-based faith, a works-based salvation, one that is very deceptive. And the reason why there is a lot of people in the church who think that they are saved when in reality they are not, because they put their faith in what they've done to be right with God. Again, they think that they're saved because of some prayer that they said or, or something that they're doing in the church. There's no recognition of sin or God's grace even in that. This is why it's important to understand that re regeneration precedes faith because it puts into perspective our wretchedness as sinners and it puts the ownage of salvation, the work of salvation on God as the initiator of of our faith, or the initiator of the work of regeneration. Regeneration precedes faith. Now, the reality is even that faith that we have, that we put in Christ, is actually stems from regeneration as well. Here's the second point for tonight. Regeneration produces faith. Regeneration produces faith. Paul in, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. If you go back to that Ezekiel 36 passage that Jesus referenced for us, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, again, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What these passages tell us is that though it is our responsibility to put our faith in Christ for salvation, that faith is ultimately attained by the regenerative work of God in our hearts. It is God who enables that faith to grow. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, being dead in our sins, we in of, in of ourselves cannot have faith in God. We cannot strive for God. Regeneration not only enables us to have faith, but it actually gives us the seed of faith, a seed which God grows. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 to 20, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of God. The Greek word here for word is not logos, as we saw in John chapter 1. Here it's rhema, meaning command. 
So Paul is saying our faith comes from hearing, and we only hear at Christ's command. And then he goes on to give an example of what he's talking about. He says in verse 18, But I ask you, had they not heard, talking about Israel in this passage, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. What, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. He's saying, Israel heard the gospel, but they didn't understand. They did not hear, therefore they did not have faith. But Paul goes on to say in verse 20, Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is why uh, some believe in Jesus and some don't. Paul is saying the reason why we Gentiles could have faith, could believe in Christ in the first place, unlike Israel, is because God caused us to have faith. God caused us to believe by his command, by his word, to hear and have faith. God, in his sovereignty, in his rich mercies, causes some to be regenerated, resulting in saving faith while others are left hardened in their hearts. This is why we can say regeneration produces faith. It means that our salvation is not dependent on how much faith we have or what little faith we have, because our faith is ultimately produced by God, cultivated by God, sustained by God, and perfected by God. This is why the author of Hebrews can boldly proclaim that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, meaning he is the one that starts it, propels it, compels it, completes it, and grows it in between. So for those of us who struggle with doubts and fears about our salvation, this is our hope, that our lack of faith does not determine whether or not we are in Christ. And oftentimes the things that test our faith is often what God is using to grow our faith. So that crisis that you might be experiencing in your life, that, that heartache, that depression, that those doubts and fears that you are struggling with, everything that is making you feel as if your faith is fading away, if it is truly God who started that work in you, that regenerated your heart so that you might have faith, those things, are seeming, those things that are seemingly hindering your faith is actually the way in which God is growing your faith. God is producing in you a faith that is more precious than gold, as Peter says, that comes through the fire refined and pure and genuine, able to stand the tribulations of this life. God, through the work of regeneration and, and through the, the process of sanctification, produces in us saving faith. This ought to be an assurance for us who may be struggling with unbelief or, or doubting our salvation. God's work of regeneration starts the process by which we have saving faith. And listen, if that's not enough to give you hope or get you excited about this, listen to this last truth about regeneration. Regeneration procures faith. Regeneration procures faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Regeneration. 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, talking about a place in God's kingdom, similar to what Nicodemus was asking for, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation already to be revealed in the last time. Regeneration procures faith. It obtains it. It seals it. It irrevocably acquires our salvation because it is, because it is God's, God who works for our salvation. It means that our salvation will be accomplished. That's what Peter is talking about in this passage that we just read. God caused us to be born again to a living hope found in Christ to an inheritance that is kept guarded by God himself until the time of its revealing. Because regeneration is 100% God's work alone, monergistic, it means that the effect in which he desires to achieve by it, namely our salvation, he will certainly then accomplish it. This goes back to the, to the illustration of being born again. Similar to how in the process of our physical birth, we could not stop or resist that process. You know, I, I was present both times that my wife gave birth. And let me tell you, once she started getting those cramps, there was no stopping that process, right? One, at one point, the doctor was like, yeah, your son's crawling out. Like, whoa, no stopping that process. And similar to it, there's our spiritual birth. When God puts into motion the process of regeneration so that we would, so that we would, so that we could be eventually saved, it will happen. This is what is known as irresistible grace or effectual grace. What God puts his hands to do, he will surely accomplish it despite our hesitations, despite our reservations, despite our objections. Some have, have, uh, some have in the past said, uh, you know, God is a gentleman. He won't force himself, you know, his will on your life or his love or whatever it is that they say. Listen, God is not a gentleman. He is a king and a creator. And as a king and a creator, he will take what is his and accomplish what his will with his creation is. God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Those words are actually referring to irresistible or effectual grace on whom God desires to show his mercy, his grace to at the end of the day, for the goal of salvation, he will do so. Now, understandably, this imagery of irresistible grace always seems to conjure some image of God uh, dragging an individual, kicking and screaming to heaven for some reason. It's like, you know, we were talking about Brother Mark earlier. God's like, hey, I'm going to save you. And Brother Mark is like, no, don't. I don't want to be saved. And he's crying and holding on to whatever he can hold on to, his guitar or whatever. That's not how it works. That picture is only half correct. And, and we, we are, in fact, able to resist. In fact, we do resist, right? That's why Scripture talks about grieving the Holy Spirit or, or quenching the Holy Spirit or why Paul in, in Romans chapter 7 talks about, you know, the things that he wants to do, he doesn't end up doing. And the things that he doesn't want to do, he does. Right? So there is a sense of being able to resist the Holy Spirit. 
You know, in, in our flesh, we resist the work of the Holy Spirit. But remember what the work of regeneration entails. God replaces our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh. In the work of regeneration, God replaces our desires, our will, our wants. And he replaces it, he replaces it with his will, his desires, his wants. Prior to the state of regeneration, you know, maybe we wanted to flee from God. The Bible says that we were rebellious, that we were actively denying the truths of God. So in our flesh, in our stone heart, of course, we would have not want to be saved or the things of God. But because God regenerates our heart and gives us a heart of flesh, after regeneration, our new fleshly hearts would want nothing more than to be saved by God. No true Christian is saved kicking and screaming and trying to escape God. That's ridiculous. But because of, uh, because of our regenerated hearts, a truly born-again Christian willfully runs to God and joyfully accepts salvation. Their hearts are no longer made of stone, resistant to the call of God. They have made, their hearts have been melted by the Holy Spirit so that they may long and desire after God. I mean, think about your own relationship with God. Hopefully none of you here are, are listening to my voice thinking, ah, oh, I can't believe God's going to save me. No one thinks that. Who said that? No one. No, I imagine most of us here can't wait for Christ's return. I imagine most of us here are excited to see our Savior, the lover of our soul, the bridegroom of the church. I mean, with everything that's happening in the world, with the pandemic and the deaths and the hopelessness, I imagine a true believer yearns even more deeply to see the bridegroom of the church. That desire can only come from a regenerated heart. God regenerates our hearts, not only so that we can come to Christ, but also that, so that we would want to come to Christ. And because it is God who works in us, that we, we can rest assured that His desire for us to be saved will be accomplished. So regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration produces faith. Regeneration procures faith. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here as we close this evening. So we find ourselves in the same position that we found ourselves last week at the end of, our, of this passage. Where does all of that leave us then? Well, tonight we talked about the responsibility that we have. And even after we, our hearts have been regenerated by God, we still and must put our faith in God. Put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Again, you're only justified by faith. That's, that's clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now some of you might be thinking, well, isn't faith an action, right? 
I'm putting my faith in God. Doesn't that entail like an act or doing something or work or something? You have to understand that faith spoken here is not an act. It's an exclamation. Faith is not an action. It's an exclamation. Faith is simply an exclamation to say, I have nothing in me to save myself. I have no worth. I have no merit of my own. I have no righteousness that would put me in right standing before God. But because, God, you have made a way through your son, Jesus Christ, I can put my faith in you. I'm entrusting it to you. I'm entrusting my life to you. That's all faith is. It's, it's an exclamation to God that says, I have nothing, zero, nothing to save myself. is not an action of what we have, it's an exclamation of what we don't have. We're just beggars pointing others to where there is food. And so that's the invitation tonight. Listen, maybe you have joined us this evening and I don't know what your story has been and what God has been doing in your life in these past days or weeks or months. But maybe there has been a desire to know God more, to seek Him out. A desire that has not been there before. And maybe even the words that I'm speaking tonight has stirred your heart. Well, I want to say that there's a good chance that God has been regenerating your heart. There's a good chance that God has been drawing you near to him. That God has taken your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And he's been calling you to himself. And now the responsibility lies on you. To put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To understand that there is nothing in you to merit a right relationship with God, to get into right standing with God, to enter into His kingdom. Nothing in you. And that the only way to, to enter in, to be saved, is to put your faith in God's only Son, Jesus Christ, who died the death that you should have died conquered the grave on your behalf. Live the life that you should have lived in righteousness. And it is only by His merit, only by His righteousness that you can stand before God. So I invite you to repent of your sin this evening. I invite you to recognize your position before a holy God and your need this tonight. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for the work that you have done in our lives, the work, the work that you have done in our heart. The God, in your rich mercies, in your grace, you chose to take us sinners with hardened stone hearts who deserve nothing but your wrath, you chose to take that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that we might desire after you, that we might want
more to you, that we might seek you. And I pray, oh Lord, for those who, who have not put their faith in you yet, that they would do so this evening. That they would not quench the Spirit. That they would not grieve the Holy Spirit and, and throw themselves before your feet, before your mercy, and surrender. That they would put their faith in you, as not as an act, but as an exclamation of how we have nothing to bring. And we desire you, Lord. We desire your salvation. I pray that your word has gone forth and to accomplish its purpose. I pray, oh God, that you would allow for a true and real, genuine life change to take place this evening. That, God, you would free your children from a works-based salvation, from a works-based mentality that is still trying to earn your love. I pray that you remind us, your children, that we can do nothing to increase or decrease your love for us, O oh Lord. For you loved us perfectly while we were still sinners, and you demonstrated that on the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way among your people this evening. Holy Spirit, melt hearts this evening. Allow for your gospel, your truth, to bloom and grow and bear much fruit. We pray these things in Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.